This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about the latest updates to ONTAP's Fabric Pool tiering solution and S3 implementation. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today we have John Lance and James Hunter to talk to us about ONTAP, uh, specifically Fabric Pool and the new S3 capability. But first, uh, let's do the introduction. So John, what do you do at NetApp and how do we reach you? Hey Justin, nice to chat with you down in the basement. Uh, my name is John Lance. I'm the technical marketing engineer for both Fabric Pool and ONTAP S3. Uh, best way to reach me is via email. All right. And James, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? I am product manager for ONTAP S3 and also NAS protocols and a few SAN things here and there. And you can reach me, of course, by email, james.hunter at netapp.com and also on Twitter at jameshunter. All right. Excellent. So like I said, we're going to talk about Fabric Pool and uh, ONTAP S3. And with Fabric Pool specifically, we want to cover what's new in the, the ONTAP 9.8 release. Uh, you know, of course, NetApp Insight has already passed. Uh, so if you're interested, there's sessions out there about this. But this is kind of an overview of those sessions. To start with, I'd like to say, you know, I'd like to cover what Fabric Pool is at a high level. So, John, um, since you are the Fabric Pool TME, what is Fabric Pool? Sure. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I'm still explaining this to, to some folks, um, even though it's been out in production for, for three years now. But um, Fabric Pool is really just tiering inside of ONTAP. Um, I think the big difference with Fabric Pool versus you know everybody else that does tiering is that in ONTAP, tiering is extremely high performance. We actually encourage you to point your client applications at it, and you know we expect you're going to get you know SATA like uh, you know or better. A performance um, with, with Fabric Pool. And so, yeah, what we're trying to do is just, you know, most customers nowadays are provisioning you know, all flash environments. And if you're coming from a very large, you know, data center, that's, that's intimidating in terms of the expense. And so the way customers do that nowadays, when it's time for, you know, hardware refresh or just brand new system, um, they're just provisioning the amount, you know, on SSD that, that is going to be used by, you know, active hot workloads. And the rest of their data center, probably you know, sixty to eighty percent for for most customers, is I don't want to say dead weight, but it's it's certainly cold and inactive. Never going to make use of flash. So when we build out this new kind of architecture, this new twenty first century, you know, data center, let's provision SSD for where it makes sense and provision an object store. Um, you know, really public, private doesn't matter. It's all S three at the end of the day an object store for all that cold inactive data. And again, ONTAP Fabric Pool is gonna give you instant access to that cold data, but the, the cost of provisioning you know, in object store versus you know, expensive, highly performative SSD is, is dramatic. So you get you know, a very high performing system and it costs a lot less than you know, just the system from a couple of years ago. And that's really what Fabric Pool is doing. And you mentioned S3 is S3, and that was especially true in ONTAP 9.7, where we added support for pretty much any S3 provider, right? Correct, correct. So all the major providers have been supported, and then you know even just S3 compatible providers um, that came out in 9.7. So even the small guys like 
you know, Wasabi or Cloudian or something like that, they're going to be supported as well. Um, it's all S3. Pretty much everybody does encryption uh, nowadays. And, you know, so the core requirements that we're looking for for Powerful, pretty much everybody can achieve them. Um, I will say, you know, just the one caveat is, you know, it's all S3 and that's 100% true, but there's there's physical hardware at the end, <laughs> at that endpoint somewhere. And so we are asking you know, all this data to be encrypted. And then they're probably going to do replication or erasure coding, or there's lots of other work that, that's going on, even though the protocol itself is very simple. Um, and not every object store is created the same. So yes, they can all do it, but absolutely like take a look, you know, check them all out because, you know, Amazon's going to give you different performance than Azure, than Google, than Wasabi. So they all are different in terms of, you know, IOPS at the end, but in terms of the protocol, it's pretty simple. They're all using the same protocol and they're all good enough to, to do Fabric Pool nowadays. So could you walk me through how Fabric Pool does what it does? I mean, what's, what's the overall, like, I guess the, the how-to, like what, you know, the, the deep dive into how it works? Sure, sure. So um, behind the scenes um, in ONTAP, so again, this is cooked into ONTAP. We're not doing, you know, stubs or, you know, having to stand up a VM that does all this extra work. It's just like, and a lot of other folks do that. Um, we don't. It's just part of like the waffle layer inside of ONTAP, and which has been around for like two decades now. And we're just leveraging that to get a very high performance tiering out of it. And what we're doing is we're looking at all the tiny 4K blocks, you know, underlying waffle and saying, you know, is this hot or not? And that's based on like a client application, you know, reading um, the block or the data in that block. Um, and, and that's what's happening previously. Um, that was a lot of work and it was, you know, reading every single 4K block through your entire data center, you know, over and over and over. Um, it turns out that was very trivial for SSDs. Um, it's a little less trivial for HDDs. Um, good news, and I'll, I'll spoiler alert right now, in 9.8, we solved that performance problem and you can tier from HDDs in 9.8. We made baby steps towards that starting kind of in 9.6 with inactive data reporting. But now, like in production environments, you can tier from HDD. We've kind of solved that performance problem. But that's at the end of the day, that's what we're doing is we're just looking at the temperature of blocks and based on you know the the setting you put on it. So different volumes can have different settings. Like, hey, I want everything in this volume to tier after 31 days, or you know, this volume tier after seven days. You know, what each volume can have different settings. But what we're doing is basically looking at how many cold blocks you have. And then we convert those into an object and then we you know, do a put, you know, it's just as three, we do a put off to the object store. And that's the kind of the magic of Fabric Pool. I think the high performance of Fabric Pool comes when you're doing the gits. And so when I need to, you know, actually read this data, we do byte range gits. So it's extremely network efficient. I mean, Fabric Pool always gives you storage efficiencies of ONTAP, but it gives you all these additional network efficiencies because we're not grabbing, you know, entire files where all the kind of the competition that does, you know, file-based tiering, if I have like, let's just say 10 gig file, which is not even that big, it, I get a 10 gig file, I have to transport all 10 gigs over the wire. And with Fabric Pool, if, you know, whatever my client application is only looking at, you know, 200 megs of that, I only transport 200 megs over the file rather than, you know, 10 gigs. So dramatic, you know, network savings as well. So storage efficient, network efficient, um, and that, that's really what it is like under the covers is we're, we're looking at waffle blocks and we're serving up, you know, even individual waffle blocks if that's what the client wants. Um, so very, very efficient, um, very high performance. 
Yeah, and with with the cloud, I mean, storage efficient and network efficient also is cost efficient because you're not paying as much to, you know, for the egress charges because you're not taking as much out. Exactly. Yeah, it's with Storage Grid, which always has like the best performance, you know, you've already paid for it, but it's still it's still network traffic, even with Storage Grid. Um, and with a public object store, that's that gets expensive. You know, that's how Amazon, Azure, et cetera. I mean, that's how they're making their numbers is by by charging for egress fees. You know, they're going to charge you just to put it there and then they're going to charge you, you know, just to read it. Um, and so. It gets a little bit more expensive uh, than you might think, and and that's what I think a lot of customers find out in the public cloud is, hey, my monthly bill is more than I was expecting, and that's because they actually were were using the data that they put out in the cloud. You know, heaven forbid. So once this data is on the object store, is the only way to access it through ONTAP, or can I go through an S3 interface and get to it? No, it's it's still all in ONTAP. So um, two things: it's it's encrypted, so it's only you know ONTAP is going to know you know the encryption keys and all that. And then two, it's it's you know basically lawful kind of level data. So without ONTAP, it's it's unusable um, by you know you couldn't point a, a third party client to that bucket and you know read all the files or you know blocks of it SAN or whatnot. Um, yeah, it it still has to be uh, accessible to ONTAP. So you mentioned that um, there is a hard drive aspect, you know, being able to, to tier from from ONTAP with hard drives. What what co- sort of caveats are there with that? I mean, are there any limitations? Are we able to do it on any system? Does it have to be a certain type of system? The, the, the catch is you got to get up to 9.8. So it is something that only happened in 9.8. The, basically, the performance changes that we made were under the covers – Basically, client workloads are always going to bully Fabric Pool, which is you know by design. We want we don't want to slow down you know client applications, and so that slows down the temperature scans on HDD a tiny bit. Um, so on an SSD, you know every single block in your data center is going to be you know looked at for temperature probably every two hours. Um, it's going to be higher number on an HDD, but since we're only tiering once per day, the actual impact is um, not not so significant. Um, but we don't want to slow down the client you know, workload, so, so we don't. Um, but you do have to get up to 9.8. But provided you're on 9.8, there's really no other you know, limitations. Um, I think the, the question is, you know, does it make sense in your environment to actually do this? Um, for primary data, um, just tiering you know, from HDD to HDD. So big question mark is, are you actually going to see a lot of savings there? I think in primary environments, I think tiering is going to absolutely make sense when people do, you know, a hardware refresh or do any sort of like migration. That's a big problem, um, or maybe not problem is the word. It's certainly a challenge uh, today where customers are totally right-sizing their environment. And so they they provision the, the exact amount of SSD that they're looking for. And then they're migrating, you know, you know petabytes of data and trying to fit it into you know significantly smaller containers of, of SSD, they know they can tier you know two petabytes off of a hundred terabytes you know um, using Fabric Pool, but that that you can't fit two petabytes into a hundred terabytes like all at once is is really the challenge that that folks get to. So good news, like starting in nine eight, that's going to be a, a much much smaller issue because now you can basically preemptively tier off of your HDD. You know, do a vol move to your, your brand new A-series controller, and you're only vol- you moving, you know, the hot data. Um, so that other, you know, the vast majority of that two petabytes has already been tiered, you know, and you only have to move the hot data, which is, you, you know, you've sized appropriately 
in your brand new system. So it makes you know hardware refresh or any sort of data migration you know much much easier. And so I think that's where we're going to see the most adoption in terms of nine eight is um, tiering in you know preemptively. So it makes you know hardware refresh much much easier. And the other place I think you know massive adoption in terms of secondary environments where today you know or nine seven and earlier is SSD only. And that means even on your backup site, um, you needed you know, some amount of SSD. And so most customers would go as thin as they possibly could um, to do that. Um, and now you don't have to do that at all. Like starting in 9.8, you can basically put FAS you know, on, in the front of your backup site, you know, dramatically lowering costs and still get the benefits of tiering out to you know, storage grid or some other uh, provider in terms of uh, you know, what the, the endpoint object store is. So yeah, that's that's where I think we're going to see it is probably less in primary, except for you know migrations and, and refreshes and that kind of stuff. But in secondary, um, you know, it was prohibitively expensive for a lot of customers to you know wrap their head around, hey, I'm going to provision SSD on my secondary data, which you know almost it just kind of sits there for except for you know restore operations, and they and you just don't have to do that starting in nine eight. So you know you mentioned earlier about performance problems or, or performance considerations with hard drives that was the kind of limiting factor. What did we do in 9.8 to kind of address that? So basically we let, um, so in previous builds, so 9.7 through all the way, you know, back to 9.2, you know, basically the, the temperature scan was a legitimate op and it had, you know, reserved priority in terms of client applications because uh, it's on SSD and it's a lot easier to read every 4K block on an SSD than, you know, physical media where it's like, I got to spin the platter and I only got two heads and they're trying to do client data as well. Um, so for like, I guess the, the big change was instead of just saying, Hey, this is a workload, which is probably consuming maybe 3% of your CPU or something. And it always will on an SSD. Um, now we, change that so it's not like a dedicated workload in, in 9.6. And so it will get throttled back if client applications basically need the compute that it was gonna use. And all that does is it just makes the, the temperature scan a little bit slower. Um, but again, since we're just tearing once per day, you know, it, we really don't have to be as aggressive as we are on SSDs. We're on SSD, no matter how big your you know, data center is, we're probably touching every block in it you know, probably about every two hours. And we just don't do that with uh, an HVD. It just, just gets, t- it gets touched less um, if we have to, you know, throttle things back and let, you know, your other client applications, you know, use your compute. So uh, I think I can think of another use case where this might make sense is if you've got some aging hardware where you're, you know, you don't necessarily want to get rid of it. You want to use it for something else, but maybe now you can use it for something like tiering. Um, Absolutely. So you, you can I think I think there the question mark is you know is the the pricing so if, is it cheaper to set on your existing HDDs or is it cheaper to to move it off to the cloud and you know I'll be the first to admit I'm not the dollars and cents guy um, so I I won't you know dispute you know who who you can get the better deal from but in terms of you know just having options absolutely that option exists I'm um, starting in nine eight. So what other things does 9.8 bring us for fabric pool? I mean, I know that we've get, we're getting this. Like, What other options are we having? Sure. So HDD support, I think, is a huge one. Um, cloud retrieval is going to be brand new. So this is the ability to you know, bring back 
blocks, you know, based on, you know, your own customization. So we, we already do that in Fabric Pool. And we have since day one, where basically a, a random read, and we're going to reheat that. We assume your client's doing real work, and we want to give the application, you know, the, the best experience it can. So we write it back to SSD. So you get, you know, the full speed of um, SSD on any subsequent read. Um, what we didn't do was, you know, sequential reads was, you know, that's, you know, an indexer or some auditing tool or, you know, even a deep AV scan, you know, we don't bring those back um, because, you know, for the vast majority of customers, that, that's not an ideal use case is you don't want a deep AV scan to bring everything back to, to Flash. Um, that was really bad, though, for certain applications that are only going to be sequential. So say I'm on or I have like some AI application or some sort of machine learning application, um, I'm probably have a very large data set and it's exclusively sequential. And when I want to run that, it wants to be you know, full speed flash. And we just really couldn't do that in um, earlier builds. And so Cloud Retrieval lets you do that now where I don't have to do a vol move to bring all my data back, which is, you know, is the way people used to have to do that. Now I can just go into that individual volume, you know, set the cloud retrieval policy and say, hey, I want to promote all of this data back to the SSD. And so what we're seeing, or at least there's probably a lot of ways to use this. What I see it is mostly with AI and ML kind of customers where, you know, I have like a, a petabyte of data that's normally never getting used. And so Fabric Pool totally makes sense. I save a lot of money by keeping it out on the grid. But you know, next week on Wednesday, I'm going to be touching this data set, and I need to run through it sequentially at the full speed of flash. And so, what they can do now is like, hey, I want to bring all that data back, you know, before that application runs on Wednesday. So when Wednesday it kicks off, it goes full speed flash. Um, I do exactly what I need to do, and then when I'm done with it, I'm going to tear it back down to the grid. So I, I get all the performance I need when, when I need it, versus you know. When I don't need it, it costs a lot less to provision this, you know, out on storage grid than on, you know, expensive SSDs. And so that's where I think we're going to see a lot of folks doing this. And there's there's other use cases where people just want to bring data back because they're doing some sort of architectural changes in their environment, and we'll see that as well. But I think for folks that you know their their apps are sequential, this is going to be, um, you know, used a lot um, because that that's where the big requests are for that. Um, in terms of other features, inactive data reporting is a big one. Everybody uses this when they're provisioning their system. Um, the big complaint with you know IDR inactive data reporting is that you know it's it takes a long time. It is you know it's super accurate, but it takes 31 days before you get the data you're looking for, and that changes in 9.8. Now, depending on whatever you set at the volume, so say I set my volume to tier you know, every seven days or every 15 days or whatever that number is, it's going to look at that number, even though it's not actually tiering, but inactive data reporting will use that number um, when it's doing its report. So you don't have to wait as long as a month um, if you know, you know, the data set in here isn't, you know, sitting around, you know, after you know, seven days or whatnot. So that's a big change. Um, we're increasing the cooling period itself, you know, that used to be from two to 63 days. We had some customers that have, you know, inflexible SLA is the, the nicest way to say it. And it's like, there's no matter what, they have to sit on an SSD, even if nothing's touching it. You know, their internal requirements say, I have to sit this for 90 days or even 180 days. You know, whatever that number is, we've increased that 
so that they can do that now. Again, it's probably not a best practice for most environments, but if that's a you know requirement for this environment, you know, and Fabricool couldn't have done that in the past, um, that changes now. So now there's really no excuse. You absolutely can, you know, run Fabricool at these you know higher numbers. Clearly, you got to provision, you know, an, you know 180 days worth of flash, right? But so there is differences. Um, but you can do it now. It's not just something that you can't do. Um, object tags probably are like the last like big feature, I think. Um, that's only for storage grid. Um, maybe it'll come for other you know, public cloud providers in the future. Um, but in the past, you know, storage grid is like this amazing flagship you know, object storage. Um, and it can do so much more than what Fabricool. Fabricool is really looking for a dumb bucket that's really, really fast. And storage grid does that you know, in spades. Um, so now we're starting to you know, play with what else can we do in these buckets. Um, and in the past, you could have gone into storage grid and you know, manually set tags, um, but that's not super easy. So very few people did it. But we got the request all the time to say, hey, let me set tags so I can do other tricks you know, with my, my objects, basically. And so we're letting customers do that starting in 9.8. Um, it all happens at the volume level. It's you know just setting up some key value pairs, and then on it basically opens up lots of stuff that you can do on the storage grid with their ILM policies. So say your data is you know on the east coast of the United States, um, but you want to move it out to you know East Asia, um, you can set the tags to do that. So wherever your apps are working on the data, they're going to move. You know the tiered data as well, because again, we want the tiered data closest to you know the production data. Um, likewise, if you need you know screaming performance and you only want to do replication, you know for the first ninety days, and then maybe after ninety days start using erasure coding because it's a lot more efficient. You can do that too. So lots of new changes um, thanks to you know object support. What we don't want customers to do, and, and it's the same as always. So don't set up your tags. Um, to kind of delete data or move it outside of the grid, um, you're going to have you know some performance issues. And ONTAP, when ONTAP leaves the bucket, it looks like data loss. And so, can you do that with tags? Absolutely. Uh, do we recommend you do that? Like, no, because ONTAP's not going to be happy. But you can just still do a ton of new things um, in um, storage grid uh, using the tags. And, and again, I'll, I'll save that last one for, for James uh, to reveal, because there's one more big one, um, and it's, it's really about the HDD support, um, but there's a whole other feature called ONTAP S3. Um, I'll let uh, James talk about that, because it is Fabricool compliant now. You talked about data reheating, and I feel like you missed an opportunity to call it leftovers or like a microwave or something. <laughs> we call them write-backs. Data um, leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of folks call it rehydration. <laughs> um, I call them right backs. But yeah, it's it's we bring the leftovers back, stick them in the microwave, and now they taste even better. You know, they had a you know a couple days to marinate, right? Absolutely. So there's another feature in ONTAP 9.8 where I feel like we want to clarify a bit. We have something called Snap Mirror Cloud, where we can snap mirror from an ONTAP system to an S3 bucket. In that case, you're able to access the data from that bucket, unlike Fabric Pool. Um, so, with with Fabric Pool, it's more of a storage efficiency feature, right, John? Yeah. So I, I say Fabric Pool is really about just reducing your footprint in expensive flash, and you, it, it's still all primary data. You still have instant access to it, 
Um, but it's just, you know, what media type is it sitting on? So it, it is not, to your point, it's not an archive. It's it's part of your production data. And, and when a client app comes in and says, I need to touch this, it's either going to be on SSD or it's going to be, you know, out in an object. But it has instant access to it. And, it, and it's literally reading, you know, the, the blocks, you know, via S3 gits. Um, versus like an ILM policy or like an archive is more of a set it and forget it where, you know, you've kind of exiled the data to some other location. And you, you know, with, you know, those other processes, you can probably touch the data through other means and stuff, but it's not going to, it's basically, you know, no longer part of that ONTAP system at that point versus Fabricool. It's still part of the system. You still crawl it, you know, using your directory structures and, you know, you know, everything like that, you know, but when you exile it using, you know, say Satmir or some other process, that, that's not Fabricool. And now it's more of a, a set it and forget it saying, hey, this data set doesn't take up any space in my ONTAP environment anymore. And I've just pushed it over to this bucket. What I do with it in that other bucket is going to be separate from ONTAP at that point. So I think that's one of the differences between high performance tiering versus like, you know, archival. Yeah, and I wanted to call it out because I know that a lot of people have always kind of mistaken Fabric Pool for an archive tier, and, it, and it's not. It's basically a storage efficiency tier. And I think the confusion comes from the idea of tiering, where most of the time people think of tiering of data from performance to, to you know, like a capacity tier in a, in a real-time system. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's because that's how competitors have done it for so long. Like, you know, NetApp's not the first to the tiering game, and we're just the first with like very high performance tiering. So, you know, the old fashioned way was, you know, I write a bunch of stubs and then I move the data to somewhere and like, please, please, please don't touch this with your client applications. It'll, it'll break them. Um, you know, just use it for restore operations and that kind of stuff. And so just because that's been out there longer, I think, than Fabric Pool, I think a lot of customers are still thinking about it in that way. Um, because yeah, to, I mean, for the longest time, you know, and even today with, you know, some other that shall not be named kind of tiering other solutions, that's how tiering works is it is slow and it is really only good for restore operations and that kind of stuff. And Fabricool, again, it's only three years old now, but it kind of changed the paradigm in terms of, hey, you're going to get SATA-like performance from your tier data and like nobody else is doing that. And like, you know, it can be faster, you know, folks are tiering SAM, you know, Fiber channel, iSCSI, very high performance gets tiered, and there's nobody else out there that can do that. And so, yeah, just when you think about Fabricool, think about high performance tiering. It's not like the classic, you know, hot archive kind of tiering that, you know, other folks still do today. So, um, you know, and that kind of leads us into our next topic. And, you know, I kind of wanted to lead us into that because now we can kind of do something similar with that where we can actually have a performance tier and a capacity tier that's on the same storage. And you're not seeing that latency you might see from, you know, a cloud instance or even a storage grid instance. So, James, um, ONTAP S3, tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So at its fundamental level, uh, we are introducing the capability to uh, create S3 buckets and access those those objects stored on ONTAP system using the S3, the S3 protocol, starting it officially with our ONTAP 9.8 release coming very soon. So we're super excited about it for two large use cases. And I think 
John, certainly we can uh, speak to that from the fabric pool perspective. When we see it at a high level, we have our tiering cases where we can utilize an S3 bucket with an ONTAP with fabric pool, and then our non-tiering use cases where we can take advantage of the high performance, the ease of use, and availability you likely have with an ONTAP system today to create S3 buckets for general purpose non-tiering use cases. So that is what we're super excited about. Let me jump into the high-level non-tiering case first, and then John and I can talk all about the fabric pool case um, and some caveats for that we want to make sure are clarified. So first of all, for non-fabric pool tiering cases with ONTAP S3, super easy to hop into System Manager or via API or CLI and create an S3 bucket non-tap starting in 9.8. You can create users and access those um, access objects in your buckets for any applications you may have or workloads that require it. Um, in terms of, you may have heard of the public preview when uh, Justin, we last spoke about ONTAP S3. In ONTAP 9.7, we released S3 in a public preview. So we had a starting feature set, uh, but there were a couple areas that we were still working on. And because of that, we wanted to make sure that customers were just using ONTAP S3 in production, in, excuse me, in test environments for 9.7. Now with 9.8, we focused mainly on security and uh, bucket architecture, two key areas that uh, we're very excited about and allow us to then make sure it is fully ready and tested for production. And so that's the big difference between 9.7 and 9.8. So I know that we're also adding some additional functionality to S3 from 9.7 and 9.8, right? That's right. Yep. So um, in terms of security, we are going to be supporting TLS uh, from encryption over the wire, which is one of the big reasons we were in public preview for 9.7. That'll be available in 9.8. Uh, we also adjusted the bucket architecture between 9.7 and 9.8 so that you can have multiple S3 buckets per flex group. Uh, the technology underneath the S3 bucket within ONTAP is built on top of a flex group. So it allows us to utilize that great flex, uh, scalability and performance that a flex group offers while uh, giving those same attributes to the buckets that reside within that flex group. Um, now you're probably wondering, can I access my objects with a file protocol if it's sitting in a flex group? And the answer is that no, you cannot. So if you're using uh, an S3 bucket, those objects are accessible via the S3 protocol only. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, it, it is something that would take a lot more, I think, consideration and development to have multi-protocols to the same bucket. That's right. Yep. Definitely a uh, challenging journey. <laughs> So um, with ONTAP S3, of course, we can also tier from Fabric Pool to S3 ONTAP, right? So we can have ONTAP tiering to ONTAP. Yes, we can. And we're, we are very excited about that while also making sure that we're careful about uh, the cases we are approaching from a Fabric Pool to ONTAP tiering perspective. Uh, because it is easy to have a to create an S3 bucket, we are um, focusing particularly on capacities for fabric pool tiering less than 300 terabytes for using ONTAP to tier to ONTAP, if that makes sense. So 300 terabytes is the line where we are looking at ONTAP versus looking at other options for tiering, uh, to tiering targets for fabric pool. And why is that? Is it, is it a technical reason or is it just something that's been qualified? 
Uh, it's not a technical reason, but it, it's something we're looking at from a uh, a business perspective as well as what makes sense economically. So 300 terabytes is about the point where storage grid starts making more sense from an, from an economic standpoint. And when customers are looking to tier above 300 terabytes with Fabricpool, we do encourage uh, those folks to look at storage grid first as it's an excellent purpose-built object storage platform, has great scalability, the global the globally dispersed namespace, um, and works great with Fabricpool today. So it's something where we want to make sure that that is uh, looked at for those larger tiering cases that we see. Yeah, and, and I guess that kind of answers another question that I had was, you know, what happens to storage grid here? Oh, we've got ONTAP S3 now. Does that mean storage grid goes away? Because I know that's what people think when they hear that, but that's not the case, right? Absolutely. No, no, no. We, we want to make sure that it's very clear that uh, storage grid is, is certainly our, our premier object storage solution that we have within NetApp. And providing the S3 capability with an ONTAP uh, allows folks to have a um, quickly deployed, uh, high-performance easy to use object storage platform just that they that they can leverage on their existing systems today. And when they're looking for that larger solution, the object storage solution, then storage grid is definitely what they should look at. Um, in terms of use cases for those non-tiering cases, we see um, if uh, there are some developers that are interested in using some, some object storage, they need access to that right away. There's a quick way um, and a storage administrator could create an S3 bucket for them with an ONTAP. So we like to say high performance uh, are, are already in your ONTAP ecosystem and easy to set up, easy to use uh, with ONTAP S3. There's also the idea that there's more functionality built in for S3 with storage grid than ONTAP, right? And so ONTAP has a very limited implementation. What sort of gaps are yes. there? That, that's correct. Um, so ONTAP, or I guess I can say storage grids has the great ILM policy engine, their information lifecycle management. Uh, as John mentioned, they can utilize tags to manage uh, their objects automatically, um, something ONTAP doesn't have. I think the other thing is a globally dispersed namespace uh, across different sites. Storage grid supports a lot of enterprise level object storage capabilities that uh, ONTAP S3 is, is uh, still starting out. So those are certainly some, I think, high-level key differences that we can see between the two platforms. So with the ONTAP S3 piece, can I tier from Fabricpool running on spinning drives to ONTAP running on spinning drives? I know that doesn't make a ton of sense, but is it possible? It would be possible, <laughs> yes. Is it, is it one of those things, just, just because you can doesn't mean you should? I, I think it's probably in that category, yes, Justin. But certainly, if you wanted to try it out, you could do that. Um, Ideally, we would see uh, folks being able to leverage perhaps their existing FAS estates as, as capacity targets as they shift more and more to AFF. Um, but if you'd like to go spinning drive to spinning drive, you could certainly try that out. All right. So what, what if I'm I... Seeing in go, terms go ahead, John. Oh, I was going to say, what I'm seeing in terms of customer requests is kind of two different ways. And unfortunately, neither of them are HDD to HDD. Um, just not a lot of demand for that. But what I what I do see is they're, it's in their existing environment, and they have like you know multiple nodes in, in their cluster, um, and some of those are high performance, um, and some of those not so much. And so this way, even in the same cluster, you can be tiering data, um, which is actually pretty fast because then we just use you know the cluster lifts instead of having to have a, a data lift on one side and IC lift on the other, and you know TLS handshakes and all that. Um, you could just it's all cluster traffic. So 
we see some customers that are already asking about that is like, hey, can I just tier within my existing cluster? Um, and the answer is yes. And then we have other customers where they do have, you know, lots of clusters, you know, geographically, you know, dispersed, et cetera, saying, hey, can I tier from cluster one over to cluster two? And, and there the answer is, is yes as well. Kind of the more traditional fabrical way where it's, you know, I'm tiering to some other location versus kind of like the new way that's, you know, only possible with ONCAP S3 is, you know, this, this concept of like intra-cluster tiering. But yeah, very few are saying, can I go HDD to HDD <laughs> so far? <laughs> what if I put an ONTAP Select instance on my home NAS and tier that to an... Oh, gee, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no technical do thing <laughs> prohibiting you from doing that. <laughs> don't do that. If you yeah. do that, t- tell us, because I'm curious. <laughs> but don't do, do that. that. I think I'm going to do that today. That's my project. Put it on a Raspberry Pi... Oh, no. I'm kidding. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> but we do have customers with their running select. So, so what select is good at? You know, I'll be honest. I know we're just kidding and stuff, but like select is good at like really tiny footprints. So if you are running, um, you know, say you're running on tap at the top of a telephone pole, or you know, it's you know under the seat of a armored vehicle or something. It's like you can do that. <laughs> um, and you know, there's no way you could put a traditional data center in those environments. But now you could do that. And run S3 or even tier from those. Um, you know, you need some sort of connection, but it, assuming you got that, you're, you're good to go in these really tiny kind of edge case or Internet of Thing kind of deployments. Yeah, I mean, what I would imagine with small footprints like that, you're not necessarily looking to do a, a tiering, right? I mean, you're not really using enough data to, to matter. But I mean, I guess you would. I mean, it, it's possible. It, you know, but it, it, you can do it. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe a better case there in those those smaller edge cases, and I, I should have mentioned this earlier, I, I, and all the things that ONTAP S3 can do, that's another great case where if you do need to collect that edge data um, that is machine generated, perhaps in object format, it's a great place where you could deploy an ONTAP select or a very slim ONTAP system that would be able to collect that that object data there on the edge. And maybe not tier it, but... No, but like, yeah, I think one thing that we're excited about in the future is, you know, using ONTAP on these kind of like edge locations and then pushing that out to like the central repository out to like your big grid where you're going to like do real work on it kind of thing. So um, we're not exactly there yet today. Again, this is our very first kind of production level release. Um, But, you know, looking over the horizon where we would like to be, you know, in the future, like that is an absolute use case that we would love to be able to support, you know, down the road. All right. So if I want to find more information on ONTAP S3 or Fabric Pool, where can I find that? Good question, Justin. So um, the Fabric Pool TR is, you know, it's probably not updated just yet. We're waiting for the GA release normally on these. So technically what you're seeing today um, it's going to be the 9.7, and that's TR4598. That's the Fabricool best practices. Tons of good stuff there. And as soon as we go live with 9.8, all of the latest and greatest is going to be there as well. Uh, likewise, with um, ONTAP S3, it's TR4814. And that's you know, currently labeled the S3 public preview because that's what we're doing in 9.7. Um, this is no longer a public preview in 9.8. This is a fully supported, you know, ready for production you know, S3 inside of ONTAP. And so expect to see that as soon as we go live. And what about your insight sessions? What sessions can we look for if we're interested in, in seeing those? The, the ONTAP S3 session is BRK. I think that's a breakout session. So it's a BRK 
1418. It's a dash one session, so not super technical, very approachable. Anyone should be able to be comfortable with the content there and just learn about what ONTAP S3 is going to be looking like. Because again, live in 9.8. The other one is uh, for Fabricool is BRK1420-2. That is a Fabricool deep dive with the latest and greatest in terms of 9.8. So um, two excellent sessions for Fabricool and ONTAP S3. So, um, John, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? NG-Fabricool is probably the, the best uh, email address for, for everything. It's it's a huge community for any Fabricool user. And James, what about you? How do we contact you about S3? If you are looking for more information about ONTAP S3, you can reach out to ng-ontap-s3-info at netapp.com. Or you could tweet at me, at James Hunter. I may look at it as I turn my notifications off for Twitter. Because you get so many uh, of them. So many. <laughs> exactly. I have to have those screened, you know, just to keep the, keep right, the volume. RIP my notifications. I set up an OnlyFans page for that, and it dramatically <laughs> reduced uh, the contact. I've got a Patreon. Um <laughs> All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or biotechontappodcast.com. If you'd like to show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank James Hunter and John Lance for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.